Recorded live. On October the 23rd, 2014, we're in the book of Revelation. And if you have notes, uh, we're in part three, lesson number 19 of part three. But overall, episode 54, that's the total number of lessons that we've discussed. And we're in chapter nine. To begin with tonight, I... I want to suggest some possible books for those folks who have an interest in that uh, in case, uh, you know, the likelihood is that I won't live long enough to finish this book, but that's true with any of us. We never know. And so we can carry on. Um, I'm going to uh, recommend six books tonight, remembering that they're dealing with what we're dealing with specifically, and they're books that I, some of these books I did not even know were in print until the last six to eight weeks. So I'm very fascinated to find that throughout, uh, um, I don't know the world, but at least uh, around this nation, we have people rising up who are dealing with the issues that we've been dealing with and have made some very, very good approaches in handling these issues. The very first one I'd like to recommend tonight is Behind the Veil of Moses. It's the foundational book by Brian Martin. And he also deals in here the nature of the second coming. That word is very important because we usually think about the time of the second coming or of a future coming to those people then living But we really ought to be looking at the nature of the second coming, and this author uh, deals with that and uh, deals with the covenants uh, very well, very well done. Um, Still has uh, some hanging ons from the Trinitarian position, but in this issue, uh, he excels. He's very well, and it's it's a very great foundational book. And anybody who is here uh, can see that I've used it quite extensively. Well, barely in one piece. If I open it up, well, th- this one's still in. Th- well, I don't know. Look at here. Yeah, there you go. yeah see, it, it's uh, yeah, it's that's it's hard for it's hard to get books that are well bound anymore unless you. I don't know whether you can even get them anymore even at any price. The second book I would suggest, Built on the Veil of Moses. And by the way, one of the, the, the takeoff verse for the Veil of Moses is uh, where Paul talks about the reason that Moses had a veil was to, so the children of Israel on Mount Sinai, that they could not see that the glory that he had in receiving the law was already beginning to fade. And it's it's a powerful insight to the law was not intended to be forever. That agreement that God was making, that covenant that he was making with Israel, was intended to be short-term. Well, not short-term according to our frame of mind, but but in short-term in frames of, uh, in the frame of mind of which that they were thinking of it as being a permanent uh, issue, 
God was already implanting with Moses the idea that what he's dealing with here uh, is going to fade away. That's a great insight, and the book is built around that and lots of good, good teaching there. You can get all of these, I think, from um, Amazon.com. The second book, which a lot of you folks here in this class have had, and this book is not intact, Alex. I have to keep it together by rubber bands, and you can see that I have books uh, marked in here, but it's called the Parousia. That's uh, the Greek word that's translated coming. In English, coming can be a, a verb, and we often think of it as an act of coming. But in the Greek, the word is not a verb. It is a noun, and it's the word parousia, which has to do with a state of being. And we've missed that uh, in our studies. This book deals with the, it gives us a, a scope of all of the books in the New Testament, beginning with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, of all of the uh, references that relate to uh, the parousia. <clears throat> so this book uh, is focused on that, and it was written in 1887. It's been around for a long time. I asked one of my preacher friends uh, this uh, well recently over the email, where were where were these books when we were in seminary and hearing from some of the greatest scholars from our viewpoint now that have lived in recent uh, decades. So anyway, uh, <clears throat> the first one I recommended tonight on the Veil of Moses, I recommended that to a friend of mine and uh, he told me tonight on the telephone that he's starting three classes and teaching that he's only halfway through. That's a dangerous way to go, but uh, he's so excited about it. He said it has completely changed his theology. So, and we've been talking about it, however, for years, but now everything is coming together, and that's the value of getting, giving outside information. Uh, the, second, the third book is a book on Revelation specific, and it's called Revelation Survey and Research, Jesse E. Mills. These are all in your notes tonight if you happen to have the notes. Um, and this is a very technical study. And again, this is a book that I didn't know existed, but he gives a lot of uh, background uh, from uh, Josephus, saves a lot of time in doing that kind of research. Uh, it's all in that book, and he has a very nice attitude about that. Uh, the second book, which has the same time frame as this book on Revelation Survey and Search uh, Research by Jesse Mills, uh, this book has uh, all of the fulfillment of Revelation in the same time frame as the first book I suggested, but he has a different, different uh, point of view about how this takes place. So that's healthy. I th I, at least in my mind, is healthy and um, I've used uh, some of his works, um, so, some ideas out of here, not quite as extensively, um, but that's, um, that's a good book. The, the um, fifth book is one that I just came across, 
and it's called The Destruction of Jerusalem. And the reason I'm recommending this one is because of the subtitle on the front page is that this is an absolute, and I'm reading, an absolute and irresistible proof of the divine origin of Christianity by George Halford. The Destruction of Jerusalem is a small book, and even though he does not involve, he, he does not include all of the things that we include in the fall of Jerusalem, he's approaching it from uh, an apologetic point of view, that it really, really um, clarifies that Christianity is real and the fall of Jerusalem in his thinking as he writes it in this book is the strongest evidence in his mind of the validity of Christianity. <clears throat> so that's, those are always good books to have access to. Don't expect everybody to go out and buy one. But, uh, and, the, and the next one <clears throat> is a book that I, again, that I've just received. Um, this is my, um, this book was written, I think, um, is this one? I'm not sure that's. I'm not. It says 2010, but I'm not sure that's accurate yet. That's what it says. <clears throat> I thought it was earlier than that. But here is another. Uh, this is coming out of a Christian church preacher, and uh, he's he's um, not quite as old as I am, but almost. And the title of it is Christianity's Great Dilemma. And he went through what I like about this book. He is, a, he is a writer. I'm not a writer. And he went through the same struggle that I went through 40 years ago. And he explains that struggle and his uh, loss of old friends and the development of new friends on the issue of is Jesus coming again or is he not? And he approaches it from the same standpoint that we approach the book of Revelation, that all of those things that relate to a future coming have been fulfilled and are not future to us. It was only future to those to whom it was written. <clears throat> and he does a very different, a very simple, large print, uh, big pages, and um, very, very well put together. On the second, the, and he entitles it Christianity's Great Dilemma. Very, very well done. By the way, the Destruction of Jerusalem book, that was written in 1805. So, you know, it's 210 years old. This one. Isn't that what it says? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's the one that uh, has the earlier date in it. So that has, a, that has a very interesting background. Those are six books that can keep us going if anything should happen to me or anyone else. Keep us going in the book of Revelation in, in the right direction, even though they still hang on to some of the, the, the tyranny of the uh, Trinity. You know, there are still, still some of them uh, still have some grammatical problems they haven't dealt with, but the issues for which we go to them for uh, explanation, they're very good at and uh, would just like to have you know about those books and that I am drawing from them. I don't always know when or where because I read something sometimes a year or two ago and I don't remember where I got it. Um, 
So that book that came out in 1805, you, re- you remember when that was published. Oh, I was, around. yeah, the, this one in 1805, oh, I was there. Yeah, yeah. in fact, I was, I was peddling the treadmill <laughs> on the sewing machine. <laughs> yeah, when this thing was put together. Can't get rid of all of it. And it's creeping up, as I told Dan and Sharon last week. I think I had I had uh, lunch with them one day, and I, I said, it's just interesting. I, I was telling them about some of these books, that they seem to be cropping up here and there with the same thing, same ideas, and some of them with the same kind of struggle. And uh, I, I find that really supportive. I mean, really encouraging. So when you read a book, like I said, the whole time when you read a book like you should, when you consider who it's talking to in the writing, those questions are going to come up. There they are. Dave, do you think that possibly electronics uh, access to programs that make it easier to look at the original language, uh, the Internet, these types of things, do you think that this might have something to do with the movement? It could be. I don't, I, I think that... Because <clears throat> it certainly aided our study. I mean, there's, and there's the entire Bollinger on the internet. You can go right to it and click on it and go yeah, where you want to go. And i got to learn how to do that. Because mine, mine's getting so beat up, I can hardly read it anymore. You know, I'm hard on books. Look at my Bible. You know, it looks like it's intact. That's because a third of the old part of it's gone. I mean, the third, third of the, it's all gone. It's not even here. It ends with Hebrews. <laughs> but the rest of it I didn't like, so I just kind of, you know, <laughs> left it along the way. That's, um, <clears throat> that's how I deal with that. Now, there are, um, uh, what, what I'm going to, what, what I'm going to do tonight is um, I want to just, look at some statements that we've looked at before just briefly i want to have a little group participation in reviewing some of the issues of the chapters and i know that neil may not be back to our classes because he's got a class going now well, he, he might not be here next week but he should be good to go after that after that as far as I know. okay well i know that what where i was going to go tonight he would have really well, he would have been right on top of it. You know, he, he would have really liked that. But I want to, set, I want to do what I've said before, because we're kind of filling up, we're kind of opening up back where we were before. I'm not going to do a lot of textual uh, review, but the book can be understood. God did not mock us in giving it to us and, and in adding a blessing uh, for those who keep it if we can't understand it. The book can be understood. We have to keep that in our mind. I can understand this, and, uh, and I can see how the end is attained. We want to keep that in mind. <clears throat> and there, there's something that we began with, our very first lesson, our very first part of this, uh, in, in part one, that uh, there are two particular observations, and that is, uh, number one, when John says things which must shortly come to pass, and uh, 
a time when which was at hand as Paul wrote, and it was and secondly that it was written in uh, prophetic speech. We keep those things in mind, and we have to keep those in mind as well all the way through the book. <clears throat> Let me give you a little summary. Now, before I do that, I'm going to ask you, in who can re- with, with those two things in mind, um, that the book can be understood and that it, was, it, it is self-contained, that it was to happen within, briefly to, within the time of which those people lived. And we keep those two things in mind, and I think we're going to always stay on track. Um, but before I give you a, uh, I was going to do it now, but I, I'm going to do it. I'm going to change it a little bit here, and that is that uh, in chapter one, who can remember just one thing from chapter one without looking? For a little while. In a little while. All right, in a little while. For or these things are going to take place shortly. That's good. Who can remember something else? Who is the key figure in chapter 1? Christ is the chief uh, figure there, and it's a revelation of Jesus Christ. Who was it addressed to in chapter 1? The seven churches. And... uh, then we come. Then we went from chapter one to look at chapters twenty-one and twenty-two. Who can remember just one thing from those two chapters? Uh, the New Jerusalem, the New Jerusalem uh, completed, coming down out of heaven, um, and the time frame again there was reestablished. That was established in chapter one. That these things were all going to take place soon very obvious in those two chapters and restated specifically. We come to chapters 2 and 3, and what do we have in chapters 2 and 3? The seven, the uh, explanation of the second churches. What theme did we approach those seven churches with, or do you remember? What we went there, does anybody remember? Offhand? What we went there for was to look at each of the seven churches as it pertained to the time frame established in chapter 1 and 21 and 22. Remember? This, this going, these things are going to come to pass shortly. And uh, those, that's all in your notes in part 1. <clears throat> then chapter 4. Who can remember chapter 4? Who? Well, we're not supposed to be looking, right? Well, I'd rather see you try to guess and be wrong. You know. The... Well, what I what I remember, what's, what what seems to stick out in my memory is the uh, is John's reaction to the things that he's seeing, his in, his instructions to record it. And uh, you're getting a little. You're you, you've jumped into chapter six. Okay. All right. Well, I the, think 
Was was it about the the um, <clears throat> just the, hold the, on the rapture of the apostles? I, I no, no, that okay. no, that was in uh, uh, Thessalonians. Well, well, I, four was the scene. Four, four was the scene of whom? Twenty-four, the twenty-four elders, and so chapter four focuses on. Now, Alex ought to know this because he did a superb job in a communion meditation between chapter 4 and then chapter 5. Remember that? Yeah, that was the chapter 4 deals with God on the throne and, and being the creator. Chapter 5 deals with, with Christ. Christ making what God did in chapter 4 worthwhile. He's the one through whom all of this is going to be done. Who is worthy? Who is the who is worthy? And that's in chapter 6. Well, and he's going to be the worthy one coming out of chapter 5, but that is established then in chapter 6 when we begin to uh open up the seals. And um um, so, probably, I would state at this point, before we get into our substantial material today, that um, we saw, in beginning with chapter 6, uh, the seal, the, the one approved to open them, we see that the seals reveal, remember these three things now, the seals reveal... The trumpets warn, and the bowls of God's wrath punish, and they punish in a full and complete way, and we're not there yet. We're still under the trumpets. And, and they are the... That, that's right, and the prayers of the saints are what initiate the process of God bringing forth the fulfillment of what he had promised. The trumpets warn and the bowls punish. The, yeah, the, 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 uh, the seals reveal. The trumpets warn uh-huh. and the bowls punish, and we'll see that when we get there. So if you keep, that's kind of an overall thumbnail sketch of where we've been of what's taking place. So tonight, I, I want to um, go then right into um, some things that we touched on before, but hopefully it will get us back into a mindset <clears throat> that we can build on. Let's go to um, Joel chapter 1, because we're looking at chapter 9, and I, I want to get us back into favor with this with the, the chapter 9 and um, we have the the locust that we're dealing with we discussed some of these passages last time um, but let's go to the book of Joel and establish our symbols that are going to be used Joel chapter 1 verses 1 through 4 <clears throat> Joel 1, 1 through 4, what we're dealing with 
is that this chapter has a lot to do with the locust, and uh, we want to make sure that we understand what the locust represents in, in symbol. Okay? Let's see if we can get it established. We've done this before, but this is only because we're reestablishing our way of thinking our way through now chapter 9. So in verse 1 of Joel chapter 1, the word of the Lord that came to Joel, the son of Bethuel. Hear this, O elders, and listen, all inhabitants of the land. Has anything like this happened in your days or in your father's days? Tell your sons about it and let your sons tell their sons and their sons the next generation. Now, there, there, there's an idea. This thing needs to be talked about and needs to be talked about with the families and the families need to tell about to their families and those families need to tell about it to the, the next family. It should go on and on. So that's how he begins. And now in verse 24, what the gnawing lo- locust has left, the gnawing locust has left, the swarming locust has eaten. And what the swarming locust has left, the creeping locust has eaten. And what the creeping locust has left, the stripping locust has eaten. How many kinds of locusts do we have so far? Who can who can identify them in verse four? What's the oh I forgot nine. Verse four. What is the what is the first one? The gnawing. The ones who just come in and eat everything. Then what's next? The swarming. Then creeping. Okay, the creeping. And then the stripping. That sounds like it takes care of everything. They were familiar with the locust. When God used the symbol of locust, the people of Israel knew the destruction that the locusts were capable of. Don't forget it. Now, go to and stay in Joel chapter 1 and look at verse 6. For a nation has invited my land, has invaded my land. So now, what, what's the nation? How has it been described here? In the first four, four verses. It's the locust. It's been, oh, yeah, it has invaded. So he's taking all of these kinds of locusts, and they represent what? What are they symbolizing? Invaders. The invaders of a nation. See that? Destroyers. Destroyers. Yeah. Nothing left. Yeah. Not all at once in agonizing time. I mean, one wave after another. Yeah. Not just one wipeout. And not all at once, but over yeah. a period of time. So 
the, the locust represents a nation. The nation that came in and invaded the land. And then he describes these locusts, through, which are really a nation. But he gives us, and you see, Revelation 9 does the same thing. And we begin with locusts, but these locusts have all of these characteristics as well. Also in chapter 1 of, chapter, of, of Joel, chapter 1, you'll notice that he, he is talking here specifically about <clears throat> uh, a, a nation that is against whom? Let's see if you can figure it out in verse 9. The, grave off, the grain offering and the drink offering are cut off from the house of the Lord. The priests mourn the ministers of the Lord. All right. And particularly Judah and Jerusalem, because where was the temple? Where was the house of the Lord? Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Was it ever in Assyria? So it couldn't have been talking about the northern tribe. He is talking about the southern, the people of Judah, who were still in the, uh, still had the house of the Lord in Jerusalem. That's where the priests were. So here we see God speaking to Judah, not all of Israel, but uh, because the house of the Lord, that's the part. That's the part of, that was Judah. They were in Jerusalem. It was the priest who mourned. They were also in Jerusalem. That's where the priests were. And so when we come to the book of Revelation chapter 9, the symbols represent a nation against Judah and Jerusalem. And here the locust represents the full impact of the Roman army. Go back, let's go, let's uh, see if we can look at Deuteronomy chapter 28. Now we have been through this, haven't we? Pretty much. If you were to take an exam tonight, would you have passed it? No. Okay. What's that? Oh, they, oh, <laughs> they, they ate it, eh? Okay. One of the last things we talked about before we dismissed class earlier this year was Revelation 9 and what I've got down here, uh, the imagery. Yes. And that's what we're kind of reviewing right now. Beginning with chapter 9 is what's the first thing that shows up on the scene? Uh, you know, we have to, this, this chapter is, is built around the locust. So I'm trying to establish once and for all that you don't think of literal locusts out there, right? We're not thinking of that. We're thinking of what those locusts are symbols of, and they're symbols of what? The Roman army. Of, of the Roman army. So the Roman army came in waves like that? They came in waves, that's why... thought it was over here, they come again? Three years it took them to destroy Jerusalem. Yeah, that's a long time. And uh, Josephus deals with that very, very well. Um, in Deuteronomy 28, 48, we get the same language that we have Jesus using in Matthew. The Lord will bring a nation 
Now, I realize he's not speaking of what Revelation is speaking of. He's talking about a different event. But remember that Revelation is using the same symbols that were, that were familiar to the mind of Israel, to the Jews, so they would understand what it was. They knew this history. You and I have a problem because we don't have that background. It's amazing that three times now on Sunday morning at the main assembly, I've dealt with the three the three events around the Passover. And I would say that probably a third of the people have said, told me that they had never heard that put together before. So we don't know uh, enough about the background to really know who Jesus is. All right, verse 48, 49, The Lord will bring a nation against you from afar, from the end of the earth as the eagle swoops. And remember Jesus talking about the eagle or the, or the uh, vulture? That's the same word. If you were to go to the Septuagint, look up this word and look for the word that Jesus used. It's the same word. Eagle and vulture. Mm-hmm. That's what that's what vultures. That's what eagles do. They they swoop down and and have you ever watched them? They're beautiful, but you don't uh, you don't want to have your dogs too close to them. Or your kitty. Or your kitty. So Jesus used that same language to describe. Where was that in Matthew um, twenty three? Was it? Let's see if I can find it real quick. You're talking about that parallel Revelation 9-1? Well, the whole context, the whole area there. Matthew 16. Um, That's what's in my notes, but it come off of a statement that said that Revelation 9-1 marks uh, the turning point in the book because earlier the focus was on the process, now the uh, events turn to the people. Well, what I, what I was looking at specifically here was um, Jesus' usage of the word eagle oh. as it related to Jerusalem. Uh, Luke, and, and I thought I could go right to it, but I'm not. Luke 17, 51, Revelation 8, 13. Well, it had to be... Um, eagle eating the dead. And that's that's good, but he says in in Matthew twenty three thirty eight, <clears throat> your house is left is left to you desolate, nothing left. Your house is being left to you desolate. Telling that to the Jews, and. Uh, and then he said, was it in chapter 16 that he talks about the vultures? Um, but if you compare the original work, the language there is the same as the word that's used in um, Deuteronomy. But anyway, anyway he, he's saying there's, there's nothing, I think it's in Matthew 24, and... Uh, Oh, 
Oh, yeah, it's in, it is. And it's in verse 28. Verse 28 of Matthew 24, wherever the corpse is, and what's he talking about? He's talking about dead Jerusalem. He has, he has left it desolate. There's nothing left but ruins. And where, wherever the corpse is, there the eagles will gather. And your English translation may say vultures, but the word is literally eagles. They're going to be there to clean up. So you see how the, the correlation between the usage of the symbols of the old gave the Jews an idea that they knew what God, what God was talking about through John when he's discussing with them the book of Revelation. And if we don't keep those symbols and the Bible's interpretation of those symbols clear, we can be... Um, let us stray. So, well, it's, like, it's like you said in the start of this class. The book is meant to be understood. It's meant to be understood. And so he was going to write to them in a language they would understand. Yep. And they understood this when, when he talked about uh, the city of Jerusalem being in ruins and it was just going to be uh, overtaken by the vultures. They knew what he was talking about because they knew that he had used that term with um, uh, to Israel under Deuteronomy. So they knew all of that. And again, to review your point, we're at a disadvantage because they knew they knew Jewish history better than we do. That's right. Yeah. Uh, just a little bit. Yeah. I now think, I think a lot. I, in conclusion today. All we're trying to do now is get traction. <laughs> yeah. All right, just trying to get some traction in where we're going. So we, we don't want to, I think that we're, we're getting traction now. But let, let me give a review, very clear picture. My overview of the book of Revelation is that we have, as Jesus stated, Jerusalem and the temple are in ruins. What isn't yet in ruins is soon going to be in ruins. Think of me with a building site. If How many of you have been up um, Alma School um, recently to where they're taking out the old Compadre ball field stadium? Anybody been by there recently? Well, that, the whole stadium, you know, was as a big pit in the ground. They had bleachers built in there. It's been there for way before we came. And then they abandoned it, and we used to walk our dogs around the perimeter that was fenced off. But now that's a housing development, and it has nothing has been in there now for three or four weeks. I don't know what happened. But there was a, a, a great uh, building there. It's all been torn down and removed. There's earth-moving equipment in there. So they're pushing and they're removing all of the old debris, getting rid of all the old structures that aren't going to have anything to do with what they're, the new development going in there. The book of Revelation is showing us the pushing and the removing of all of the debris of the Old Covenant and the Old Covenant people. 
getting it all cleared out so that what happens in chapters 21 and 22 is fully realized, and that's a new development, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven, which it had, but now it's going to be completed uh, because the old has been cleaned out, removed, and is gone. And the book of Revelation is giving us God's process in the clearing of the land and getting the old system cleaned out and cleaned out of their system. Got the picture? Yeah. Any questions? So you're saying that locusts is or was the Roman army? Roman army. I have a question then, because back here, well, I first noticed it in my notes. I have down here, the five-month reign of the, the zealots uh-huh. equals the locusts. Then on this, back uh-huh, here, this... That's right. So far, so good. So how could, the locusts are both the army and the, the, and the zealots that are in Jerusalem? Well, of course, the zealots were a part of the army, weren't they? They weren't? But if we're talking about the, the Jewish zealots who, who were in Jerusalem at the time when the Roman army showed up, but they weren't part of the Roman army. You've got a good point. Let's, let's, we may have to spend some time on clar- clarifying that. What, what note page are you on? Okay, I'm on uh, Revelation Part 3, Lesson 16. Okay. And we have... I, I may be too generalizing here too much. Mm-hmm. And then down here about chap, uh, verse 5, it says uh, limited suffering for five months. And it goes down to May to September when the zealots produced a most dreadful reign of terror. Oh, I, I, I missed that. Where, where are you there now? Okay. I'm on uh, page... Uh, Revelation Part 3, Lesson 16. I'm on that page. Mm-hmm. And then you go down to where it said, to where verse 5 is on the printed part. Yes. Then right across from there, you've got some red writing, and then right under that it says, uh, May to September, when the zealots produced a most dreadful reign of terror. Uh, and then you've got verse 6 under there. It says, In the year of the reign of Jerusalem, the death looks good. Um, so it's, and then it goes on to say, um, where is it, the next page, I think, when it said that the description fits the five-month reign of the zealots and the locusts depict their attributes. And then you go on to say, um, down by verse 14, says this description fits the army of Rome and the movement of Vespasian, which means Vespasian was still at the Euphrates. So they weren't. So he wasn't part of the locusts. The locusts were already there. You've got an excellent point. On the last one. Figure out who the locusts are. Are they zealots? Are they the army? Or are they? Yeah, that's fine. Because I have always thought they were the army. But okay. Um, The last reference you made. I want to make sure that I understand exactly what you're saying. uh, Is drawn from on the next lesson on what what verse? I didn't. St- I didn't, wasn't able to keep up with you. Okay, uh, on the next page where it says, you know, part three, lesson uh, seventeen. Yes. Mm-hmm. Then we've got. Um, let's see down here. 
uh, verse 14, is it release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. Then you've got a little note out there in your handwriting that this description fits the army of Rome and the movement of Vespasian. I see it. Okay. Okay. Um, <clears throat> this description fits the army of Rome and the movement of Vespasian. Okay, and, and this is. And I have, you know, in my in my separate notes that I I wrote, I I'm trying to confuse here. <laughs> All right. Well, I may have to spend some time to help clarifying that up. Yeah, because I. In, uh, do you have this paragraph in your notes right off number 11? This, this description fits the five-month reign of the zealots and the locusts depict their attributes? Yeah. Yeah. That, that's the summary that I was doing tonight. See that? I, as I may have been over, you know, I may generalize too much. And the locusts depict the attributes of the zealots. Mm -hmm. and then not, after, not the Roman army, but the zealots. And then after the zealots, then, then the army. The locusts depict the attributes of the zealots in verse 11, and then it broadens out to the army in verse 15 following. That may not be clear. Like I said, I had always thought that these locusts sound like the army. Uh, but you're saying they're not. They're the, they're the zealots who are already fighting within Jerusalem within themselves, among themselves. Yeah, but they had the attributes of the of the locusts, didn't they? So are you saying that the zealots were were uh, were pro-Roman politically? They were they were uh, um, uh, or 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 were they zealots of you know the law of you know the old covenant? They they were uh, rebels. They didn't, they didn't want their little empire to crumble. Is that right? Yeah, they were fighting for their their power and authority that they had enjoyed. And, a, and only a measure of that was retained in the end, uh, as we know it. Right, Dave? Yeah. Um, I mean, the whole country seemed subservient to Rome by the time that Christ is there as man. Completely subservient at that point. Let's clarify. Let's clarify where Lana is, so that I can come back with a clearer picture. Okay. Okay, I'm just trying to figure out here when you go back, like to um, you know, the bottomless pit opens. Uh, when we go, you know, we're in chapter chapter nine here, verse one, and then we start down, and it talks about the, the locusts that come out of the smoke, 
and and they they're told not to hurt the grass or any green thing, but only the men. Yeah, they start with they're limited to begin with, aren't they? Yeah. yeah. And we're still talking about the locusts here, and I'm still trying to figure out who exactly the locusts are. <laughs> And they'll seek death, but they'll not find it. Well, we know that they're people because they're told, they're told who they could hurt, and they were told who they couldn't, could and couldn't kill. Yeah. So that, that, that I have no problem with. And then it describes their appearance. And like you said, I, I'm, I'm sure that's not their appearance. That's their attributes, like you said, their they're pretty, right. mm-hmm. they're pretty scary, and they've got some their own business there. But And men will seek death but not find it. They will long to die, and death flees from them. Yeah, death would look really good to them. Oh. Let's see where I am now. And then it gets worse. But then it, the, the locusts are, I'm assuming, in Jerusalem. And then if it says that the, the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates, you mentioned that this is uh, the Roman army that is waiting at the river there uh, to advance on Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the locusts are in Jerusalem. They can't be at the Euphrates too, or maybe they can. Uh, there were several legions there in Jerusalem. I know. I mean, in in uh, Israel at the time, but again, it says on my notes regarding that time that 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 power was delegated. That was that power was delegated. Yeah, by the 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 demon or the. The king of them, yeah. If you notice on number 10, verse 10, on page, um, on lesson 17, um, first of all, these locusts were directed by evil forces from the pit, and they were big dudes in verse 9, and they represent in in uh, this organized evil men. And they would terrorize the people before the army from the Euphrates arrived. See that in see that statement? Yeah. And yeah, and that's what I is is that part of the confusion issue? You said the root use of the symbol pertained to Judah and Jerusalem. The symbol does not pertain to a Gentile nation being destroyed. It's talking not about not pertaining to a Gentile nation being destroyed. That is, is Israel. Yeah, right. that's is Israel. Okay. There, what I'm getting at is the locusts are Israel then, or part of Israel. No. Um, let, let me see here. I, 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 maybe my language is awkward. The the root use of the symbol is as we discussed it tonight in Joel. It represents a nation 
or a people that are used of God to destroy and punish his people. Uh, we call that the nation, and then we were more specific and said the Roman nation. We probably need to broad that out. But this, this symbol does not pertain to a Gentile nation being destroyed. It's not, see, that's what the premillennialists have in here, is they have, they have this as the, the nations of the world being destroyed. It's not pertaining to a Gentile nation being destroyed. This all has to do with the Jude, uh, Judah and Jerusalem being destroyed. That's my point. By a What's that? By a Gentile nation. By a Gentile nation. Yeah, by, yeah. So, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, you're still wondering why the zealots would be referred to as locusts then? Or did we determine that, that they're not? That's what I'm trying to determine. It, it, does it, the locusts refer to zealots, not the Roman army. I think it refers to all of those that are represented by the characteristics of the locust, specifically specifically those things that came out of the pit, which were the Gentiles destroying the Judah and Jerusalem that used to be God's habitat. Both the zealots and the Roman army contain the, uh, the attributes of the locust as described. Um, and that may not be clear. I may not have it clear. Well, in verse 12, the, the note down here on verse 12 says that this refers to the first section of the chapter, verses, you know, mm -hmm. 1 through 11. It depicts the preponderant condition of combined forces of zealots and endemians against Jerusalem in the last five months before the fall of Jerusalem. Maybe okay, that's, that's a quote from... Yeah, that's a quote from this book right over here. And I think that's... Um, it depicts the preponderant condition of combined forces of zealots and indominions against Jerusalem in the last five months before yeah, the fall of... Well, but they were, they were all in the Roman... I mean, everything was Roman. There was only one world empire, right? Well, yes, but the, the zealots themselves who were fighting within Jerusalem would have called themselves Jews. Yeah, they, that's <laughs> right. Not, mm -hmm. But they still... I guess I mean the Roman army, not okay. just the fact that they were part of the Roman empire. Just, I wonder if... Um, we need to qualify the quote there from Mills. Well, it sounds like they all were working together. Uh, they're, they're, what they were doing resulted in the total destruction of Jerusalem. So whether they were the zealots or the army or the Idumeans, their actions all resulted in the destruction. 
I think they all sound like a bunch of locusts. Well, and I think that's why we see them. It's everything that came out of the pit, no matter what. But the next statement I have, under verse 12 there. So and so there were multiple different kinds of locusts. Yeah. Yeah. They were swarming. Yeah. All doing different things. Eating, eating. So they had, you know, four. We had four different traits, four different yeah. species, uh, kinds of locust. And this description I have under, underneath as a summary description that I was drawing from tonight is this description fits the army of Rome and the movement of Vespasian. Well, that doesn't quite connect with what I quoted from Mills, does it? Because because down to down to verse uh, twelve, then it starts on first you know then it says the first woe is past and behold two woes are still coming, and then it goes on to talk about the six angels and the release of the angels from the river Euphrates. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, all this locust stuff is going on before the actual Romans actually get there. What was that last? I didn't... Because it sounds like the, the locusts, all the locusts and, and the zealots and the Edomidians are still, all this is going on before Thespasian's army actually gets there. And that, and that did indeed happen. Okay. I can buy that. Vespasian and his army, they dealt the final blow, didn't they? I mean, those locusts, and, and then they came in and finished it off. So there we had those four levels of locusts coming yeah, in, don't we? Yeah, each little, each little segment had its own little job of destroying to do. Hey, can we go back just far enough to determine what... I've done no studying on the zealots in my life. What... Who were the zealots? What was their mission? Oh, let's. Um, who wants to do a lesson on that for next week? <laughs> well, I mean, if you could just. It, it, we don't have to spend the rest of the class on it or all next well, week. Well, we're going to quit now. We're, because we're, I know that. I mean, I know that they were Jews in Jerusalem, right? But what was their political slant? Should be easy enough to say. You don't have to go into an in depth study. Well, let's have a report on it. Okay. So that we don't shoot from the hip. Fair enough. All right. Write it down. Probably handbook has probably got a little blurb on that, don't you imagine? Lana, can you give me again? Um, <clears throat> fine-tune the question or the I, I, I think, think we've made it. some progress I think it's figured out in my head it's just Can you, the question of who the locusts were <laughs> yeah I, I think that they represent all of this don't they yeah I looked at it and what you said clicked in my brain when you said that there were four kinds of locusts and then okay that made more sense to me than uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, because there were different factions within the city at the time you'll find this out when you study the zealots there was dif- different leaders of these zealots and they were all fighting each other 
that and that about. makes yeah, and that makes sense that sure. there would be. Um, I think what may have thrown uh, thrown us off tonight is I just dealt with the concluding, the yeah. end of the picture. You just said the Roman army. The Roman yeah. army. Uh, but there were a lot of things that were taking place by the locusts before they came along. Uh-huh. Yeah, preparatory work. Yeah. Just like, yeah, any kind of army. Do you have a picture? Are we getting a picture now of what's going on? And the fact that they could hurt them, but they couldn't kill them. In other words, they were hurting. That sounds like hurt. the role that they uh, were hurting. God put on uh, Satan about Job. They were hurting, hurting the, their 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 selves, but they they weren't killing like the Roman army would do. Mm-hmm. Their, their religion, their nation, their people, their... Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. You're not going to be here next week, are you? You'll be up in the mountains? Mm, I, I don't know. Don't know. Would you like to do a little short report on Salas? Uh, I suppose I could. And, and if, you're, um, if you'd like to, I mean, if you may keep it simple, you know, keep it easy... <laughs> Uh, oh no, that's good. I like that. in depth. That's that's good. You can always count on you to more than cover the subject. Well, I'll tell you what. Why I like this is because when I was dealing with the class last Tuesday, a week, a year ago Tuesday. Um, I mean that class of that period of time. The last sessions we were talking about mercy. Blessed are the merciful. And I gave my definition of that, and I got questioned. And then we had a pretty lively discussion over that. And then finally somebody, it clicked in their mind of what I was saying that I hadn't been able to clarify myself. Because I had defined mercy as being to make useful. And I use some scriptural, you know, background to that, to where, but he, but uh, uh, it was said that 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 just doesn't connect. Finally, it dawned on them because I said something that triggered something that I hadn't thought about. That mercy has a motive in it, and the motive is to do something merciful that makes someone useful. It's the motive behind how you give mercy and that the intent has to be to to uh, have the idea of making them useful or to give them something that's useful to them or to help them to be more useful. And, and that's mercy, but it has to be the intent behind it. Well, that opened up a whole new thing that I'd been saying, but I hadn't clarified it, and once that got said, everything was smoothed out. You know, it's um, I can't go to the books on all this stuff. <clears throat> anyway. Well, last May, when we were talking about going into Chapter 9, uh, right in my notes it also says uh, how many times we were talking about the imagery of uh, smoke and how many times that's been used as an example or to paint a picture about something many times. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and and so I, yeah. Sometimes I wonder if is it their language that if it was was it their language that was limited or is it ours? Ours. Only because we miss the background, you know. I, and I can't and, argue with that. And the churches, uh, the churches stay away from the Old Testament. You know the the church the churches as in general. I'm, I'm I'm speaking of the big picture. They don't deal with the Old Testament. They don't deal with the Passover things. They don't deal with these imageries. Just don't. You know it's boring to people, I guess. So I don't they, think a lot of Christians think it's relevant. The only thing they the only thing they really think is relevant is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And the rest of it is just fluff. Okay, any other closing comments? You have this paper. Um, it's got a little bit about the zealots on here. This is a, a handout that Dave gave us when it's from Revelation Survey and Research. I'm working at a disadvantage because Sharon has all of my oh, lessons okay. in her archives right now, okay. and she will return them to me when she's finished. What, uh, what page was that? It's it's uh, the Revelation Survey and Research, page 134, 135, 136, and 137. Did, yeah, we, that was a handout you gave. Um, just at the end of the season, I guess. It was, uh, I have it right before Lesson 18 in my book here, so it must have been Lesson 17. Oh. Yeah. Did you say 134? <laughs> yeah. Well, when I get my... Do you want to make a copy of one right now? It's got some information about the zealots and the Indomedians there and um, what was going on inside the temple. And You're saying 134 to 137? To 137, yeah. Got it. You've got them? Well, they're Alex's. I'm just going to make Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, I'll, that's probably all that you want. If it isn't, why well, then we'll we'll stick Lana on it. Yeah. yeah, there's no reason to. No, that's good. Most of what was going on at the time, you know how they were, how they had t- taken one of one of the groups of zealots had taken over the temple and was doing their own thing, and another one was attacking them to do their own thing. It's just, it was just a mess. I don't know. Maybe I wasn't here this night or something. I don't remember reading this. Oh, it's all right. You may not have been. Okay. Let's um, close. Father, we thank you for uh, a book that we can explore and study that has depth to it. Father, we understand that um, it's written for us to understand, but it's not always easy. And we're thankful for that for the intellectual challenge and for the emotional challenge that's uh, contained within this book. May it help us to develop a faith uh, in your word and to see the beauty that is in you and your love for purity and truth. In Jesus' name, amen.